Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series of patient interviews. This will be a little different than what some of the other things that we've done. Um, the, I want to introduce you to Mrs. Pepe Chernoff, who has been a patient of mine now for about a year and a half. About two. Going on two years. And what you need to know, Pepe, about these people, these are doctors and nurse practitioners who are learning how to be doctors like me. Okay? And the, the reason to have this interview then is to give them a bit of an insight into a kind of a patient that they don't see very often uh, where they are studying and working and in some ways represents where this field is going, where the need is. And one of the other things that, um, well it's true of doctor education anyway, is that when patients talk, they listen more than they listen to me or any book, they learn from patients. So what I want to do is you and I to have a conversation that they'll listen in on, and then towards the end, we'll let them ask questions. Is that all right with you? Perfect. And for the purpose, this is being done just for educational purposes. We're not selling this. We'll ask you to sign a form to give your permission. But I also want to get it on film that, that you're not coerced to be here. You're here for your own free will, and this is for education. Absolutely, and I'm happy to do it. Well, thank you. So do you remember when I got... When I first saw you? I certainly do. So tell me a bit about your cancer that led to that time when I was seeing you. Okay. I was originally diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. Mm -hmm. From the get-go, do not pass go, do not collect $200, just go to the top of the class. And I thought it was a death sentence, and I took very, very, very aggressive chemo that practically killed me, but I was getting over it. Anyway, I get a call from Cindy saying that you would like to come and see me. And I'm thinking, a doctor that makes house calls? This is very interesting, but I was sort of skeptical, because then I figured, oh God, I'm in worse condition than I thought. You know, I knew I was bad, but I didn't know I was that bad. And when I first met you, I remember the first thing I said to you, do not mention two words to me. Do not mention palliative care and do not mention hospice because those words scared me. I figured, then I knew that I was in, in bad shape. I have learned a lot more. Um, but that's basically, you know, when you first came and I, I listened to everything you had to say, but I thought it was, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I was a little skeptical, but then I fell in love. So, no, really, everybody should have a Charles. You know that I keep saying he needs to be cloned. They have to make a Dolly, you know, Dolly the Goat Charles. I right. mean, you are an amazing, I can't even say enough, and I don't want you to get a swelled head, so I won't. Right. But. Well, I remember the reason your doctor, and it was your primary care doctor that asked me to see you, was about your pain management. And she was concerned that she wasn't doing it right or there were issues and so that was fundamentally why I was there. Do you remember um, what did I did I do what you asked? Did I not use the H word and the palliative care word? You did not use either one. 
Nope, we okay. didn't talk about that. We just talked about just a lot of things. My husband would sit sometimes with us, mm -hmm. um, my daughters, because um, everybody we felt this is a disease for all of us, and everybody had to have a real part of it. So, so t for for the benefit of the group here, tell me what you understand about your cancer now. I understand that I'm a miracle. Um, I never they never thought that I would see 2015. Um, I have had ongoing, I can never go into um, remission, um, but I have had, you name the treatments, I have had allergic reactions to a number of the drugs, but I have been on chemo almost constantly, and I'm on it now. I took a break, and then I was on two months worth of radiation, and then I went back to chemo. So that's where I basically, you know, you said you're a miracle. What do you mean by you're a miracle? Well, nobody thought that I could, you know, I was in such bad shape. They never thought that I would make it to December, that I would ever see 2015. And then 2015 came along, and my husband had not been feeling that great. We couldn't get to the bottom of it. And then my husband was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. And so here we were dealing with my husband mm -hmm. and myself. Mm -hmm. And then the word hospice came into our lives. But. Mm -hmm. now, so you've talked about the, the cancer and that you know that it spread and that the chemotherapy has been working to keep it under control, although it can't cure it. Right, exactly. But now I'm taking a new drug. I'm also willing, I'm, I must tell you, I am willing to try, you know that, anything. I'm trying integrative medicine, I think, and I have to tell you, that is helping me tremendously. I am taking, um, while I have my chemo, I'm getting massage therapy on my legs, which are a mess. The, I have no feeling in my feet, I have pooling, I got, I got all kinds of issues, but I try not to let any of this bother me. Um, and, you know, there's, there's so many other things that you can do, so. Yeah. I remember you telling me that when you go to the infusion center, um, it's something you look forward to. I do. I have, to, I have never met such unbelievably devoted people in one place. And I'm not just talking about the nurses. I'm talking about everybody from the fellow who does the valet, Mohammed, who does the valet parking. Everybody is just so amazing. They just, each person is, is just they're all a part of a greater thing. And I almost forgot the question. Could you repeat it? You're doing great. Uh, now, I'm remembering that, that period when your oncologist stopped the chemotherapy and you weren't going to the infusion center. What was that like for you? I, I was worried. I was worried. I, I had to be aggressive. I, I felt I needed to have the treatments because I was worried that if I didn't take a treatment, maybe things would start to grow. But I had to get over all the side effects that I was having, and that was, an, that was a big issue, getting over the different problems that I had. You know, I had, that, I had to have a couple of shots of an EpiPen, um, so I, I had to be off of it. But I, I missed, I, not only did I miss the people there, but I was just worried. I needed, to, I felt that I really needed to have the cancer drugs because otherwise, things would come back. Yeah. And when I did discover something that came back, we took care of it and I did the radiation. And then when that was over, 
I went, they wound up finding another tumor on my liver, which is one of the metastasized places. And so I'm dealing with a new drug now, Catcycla, now. And um, I'm not getting the best CAT scan in the world, but anything that's plus, anything where even if it's a little bit, is better than going backwards. So, uh, Say more about how this has affected you emotionally. Ooh, it's a roller coaster. You know, just like everybody, yeah, you know, just like everybody else. You know, I have good days, I have bad days, but I'm really trying to get myself involved in a lot of activities. I love to read. I joined a book discussion group at the library. You know, I'm trying to do stuff for myself. I'm trying to have my kids not all over me, um, because in this process, you know, I mentioned my husband was diagnosed with stage four, and he was here, but he also passed away. Six, month, six weeks after he was diagnosed. And I just, just to let people know that you can also have a life. My daughter got married at Kobacker. My older daughter, we knew my husband was dying, and Charles was nice enough to set up this particular room where we had a little reception. It was a very small, very small, last-minute wedding. But my husband promised that he would see her married, and he did. He also died an hour later. But he was here, and and so it's it's this whole ride for me is a roller coaster because I've had you you can't even imagine. And then a couple of weeks ago, or two months ago, my brother-in-law passed away from lung cancer, and he never smoked. So it's been we've had everything. You you can't even I mean anything that could go wrong has gone wrong. But the one good thing is I'm still here, and that's that's been the most amazing. I was thinking, so for a woman that didn't want to ever hear the hospice word, didn't want to hear the palliative care word, only wanted to hear about aggressive care, and then has a husband die of cancer, has a brother-in-law die of cancer, has to come to a hospice inpatient unit for her husband's care, and then her daughter gets married in the chapel of a hospice inpatient unit, and you have the reception, and your husband dies an hour later... How do you cope with that? It's not easy. I also was commuting from here to the Bing and back. Yeah. I was going for chemo. I was sleeping here and then going back and forth. It, how do you cope? Well, fortunately, I, have, I had a very loving husband. We were married 45 years. Everybody should have a husband. You, you, you knew him, so you know. Um, I have two very, very, very loving and caring daughters who sort of smother me a little more than I would like to be smothered, so I'm glad I got to go out by myself, you know. Um, That's right, you don't have either of your daughters with you today. I do not. So are you out, is this like girls' night out or something? Well, I'll have my book group later today. Okay. So, yeah, I wish it was girls' night out. <laughs> I got all dressed up with nowhere to go. No, but I have a book group, but I, tr I try to do other things. Because if you st I, I can't feel sorry for myself because every time you talk to somebody, somebody's got something worse. You know, you, you don't know what's going through other people. Yeah. yeah. So. But the picture you paint is of living on a couple of levels simultaneously. You're very hopeful about your cancer. You're very hopeful about its treatment. You find some words about it very frightening. And on the other hand, you've had to deal with more than most. The death of your husband, the death of your brother-in-law of cancer. 
do you, do you notice that in yourself that you're living on several levels simultaneously? I try not to think about it. You try not to. Yeah, because if I if you start focusing on the negative, you forget there is still time to go out and smell the roses. I mean, I think that's what everybody has to remember. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other things in life that you can look forward to. You know, just even going out to brunch or just doing stuff and being with people that you like or love. It just is that new for you? Focusing on the positive? No, I always focus on the positive. Okay. It's not new. Not new. Everybody who knows me will tell you okay. that I was always a very up person. Well, that leads me to the, how this has affected your family life, your family system, your illness. I think it's very, very tough for my daughters. Sometimes I don't like to think about it. Um, they know that I'm sick. But they don't like to, you know, they don't like to put it, it, it in their face. And I think that's, that's very important because I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. I really don't. I want you, people to treat me like they always treated me. I think, I think that's the most important thing is, you know, let me struggle a little bit. It, it, it won't hurt. You know, if, even if I know that I can't get around the way I would like to, sure, I would love to get in a car and drive away. But I can't. The thing that I love, one day I'm going to get in the car and go, if my feet ever let me. But that's the one, one thing, that's the thing I miss the most, believe it or not, is just getting away by myself and not dependent on, you know. Um, but I've even learned how to, my New York mentality, you know, is to call yellow cab and just get a ride and go. So. Well, you bring up that you're a New Yorker. Yes, and happy. And uh, you're also Jewish. Yes. And being a Jewish New Yorker is a, that's a certain kind of person. S say more about what that means to you, be a, be a New York Jew. Uh, but it means to have good bagels and good Chinese, and good Chinese food. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit different um, here than it is there and that had a lot I had a lot to get used to with that but I you know I'm, I'm managing it you know I, do I miss New York and my friends absolutely but they're very supportive too I still talk to the girls in my stock group I talk to the girls in my investment group that's the same thing as the stock group and my book group you know and I get an honorary seat you know when we talk about a book so well, I miss them terribly in some ways, you're an immigrant to the Midwest. Yes, but I've been coming here since 93. Right. And my memory is that you moved here because your daughters had moved here. Yep. Don't send your kids away to college because they might move <laughs> to that state. My, daughter, my older daughter, Holland, came here to go to OSU, graduated, came back to New York to work for uh, Estee Lauder, and then... You can't afford to live in Manhattan unless it's three girls living in a one-bedroom with walls. She came back here, and the cost of living and everything was so much easier. And for the same money, she could have, her friends could not believe her apartments here yeah. and what, what they have in New York. So, and she's, she's been here ever since. Now I'm remembering your life in New York. Um, I think of you as a, a strong, powerful woman. I remember you being, you were president of Hadassah? I, oh, you, you name the organization, I was probably president. Of, I was uh, very involved with the school board when my kids were in school. I was PTA president. I was president of 
several Jewish organizations. I was a trustee of the synagogue we belonged to. I was very involved in community um, activities. It's hard when you move to a place and you're older. It was a lot easier when my husband and I were together because we had each other when we went someplace. You know, we can go as a couple. Now it's a little bit more challenging going someplace by yourself because you don't want people to feel sorry for you, um, but you, you know that it's, it's not the same, and it's not the same people that I knew before, so they don't know um, my history with a lot of stuff. So, but, you know, I'm, I would, you know, anybody looking for a volunteer, I was always the one volunteering to run something or do something. Well, when I hear about someone who has been that involved, that in charge, that in control, and then they get a disease like cancer that they can't control in quite the same way they've controlled everything else. It, it is particularly challenging. Is that true for you? Sure, because I'm a control freak. Anybody that knows me knows I like to be in charge. Uh -huh. So it's very difficult when you can't run the show on your, it's your, your body and you can't, you're at everybody else's mercy and then the mercy of all the different pharmaceuticals that you take. So that's the hardest part, not, have, not being the one who says, body, listen to me, and I don't want this, you know, I, and you try to be as positive as you can. Well, and I'm remembering the reason your primary care doc wanted me to see you was because you were taking your medicines the way you wanted. Oh, yeah. I'm not good with this stuff. <laughs> Say more about that. You're not good with this I'm stuff. I'm not very good, you know. I always feel less is definitely more, and maybe I really don't need it. So, and I didn't, I didn't know the difference. What is cancer pain as opposed to, I had rotator cuff repair a lot of years ago, and that pain, will the same drug help the rotator cuff? Will the same drug help, how, do, how does it know where to go? In, in other words, I did take um, morphine and then I had some allergic reactions, so I stopped and then I, I went on, you know, methadone, methadone, which I didn't even, I only knew methadone for one thing. I did not know that it was one of the best pain medicines for um, breast cancer. I will say, you know, uh, so when I took the medicine that I was taking, I never took it correctly. You know, when I was in horrific pain, that's when I took it, and I never took really the right amount. I always took less. And then I had my own way of figuring it out. And I still do. But I've also, I've learned a lot more now. I learned, you got to take it before you're really in horrid pain, because then it, then it really doesn't help you at all. So I'm getting a lot better, but I still have my own method of, I mean, I know I can take two methadone tablets, you know, twice, three times a day. But I could take, you know, if I feel okay, I just take one in the morning as a preventative. If I really, really feel bad, you know, and then I take, you know, oxycodone. I, I have my own way, but it's working. It's, I, I got it down to a science, and I, you know, I, as I said, I, I just feel, I, I got it, I got it. Right, and what I remember is that that your doctor was uncomfortable with you doing it the churn-off way, um, which, and you enjoy controlling that, and you do that with all your medicines. Well, I do that with everything in my life. I like to control everything if I can. Yeah, and one of the one of the features I think I brought to your care is well, that's okay with me. The more you understand, and the more, but I'm 
willing to be flexible along with you. It is your life. It is you're experiencing the illness, not me. And I re- let me tell you, I really appreciate it. I still can't figure out though, and you know how I feel. How does the medicine know where it should go? In other words, how does it know what breast cancer pain is? And I actually can't figure, I still am not exactly sure if I know what it is. I know when I hurt and then it makes it feel better, but I don't know if it also helps my rotator cuff, uh, will it help my sinus infection, will it help a bad headache, will it help my knees, will it help my, you know, I, like, I would like to be able to have more control in directing where it goes, but I can't. <laughs> but I, I would like to be able, you know, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you know you have, oh, the worst, the lower back pain, and you just, I like to call it tushy back because it's like where your rear end meets your back. And the pain These are good Midwesterners. They may not know the word oh, tush. Tush is a uh, rear end, derriere, but It's a good it, Yiddish word. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you said you're Jewish. Most people who have uh, cancer like yours uh, have a spiritual dimension to it, sometimes through religion, sometimes not. What's true for you? Well... I believe in every God. I believe in every God that will help me. Whoever I, you know, um, we had a wonderful chaplain here at Kobacker who really helped my husband tremendously. And when we donated a paver outside, we had John um, do a little service for us. So I, I take any. Well, I, I, I prefer dealing with a rabbi, but um, I will take everybody's support from every religion. I feel that you can, no matter where you are, if you're in a church, um, when my husband passed away, they had a memorial service at um, a church in Worthington, and it was such a lovely ecumenical service. Um, so that I think you get, you get um, a wonderful spiritual feeling in some of the places that you least expect to find it. So. So it sounds like that spiritual feeling is important to you. Yes. Good. So what I want to do now is open this for questions from people in the room. What questions do you have for Pepe? I'm so good, nobody wants to ask me a question. (laughs) What's going to happen when you have to go into hospice? And you don't want to hear that word. So the question <laughs> I knew somebody would ask that. And I'm just repeating what are you what are you gonna do when you when you do have to go into hospice? First I I'll cross that bridge I think when I get to it and see how I really feel. I saw hospice do some wonderful things and for my husband it was amazing. And he he was all right with it. He 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 was very graceful in the way he took to everything. Me, I'm control, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I'm hopefully I won't get to that point. Something will happen to me before that and I'll forego this step. Um, I try not to think about that. You know, I, honest, very, being very honest, I try to put that out of my mind. Even the word palliative care, and I know palliative care is a whole different field of medicine than I understood it to be. Because to me, hospice and palliative care are married and they were the same thing, but they're, I know that they're not. Um, 
but hopefully I never have to, hopefully I can just continue going on like this and I never have to well, you proved, come here. You proved your, your oncologist wrong, right? Absolutely. What, what do you remember your oncologist saying to you about your prognosis? No, it was not good. It was, it was, kind, of, it was kind of grim. I mean, I went, I had, my original chemo was really, really, you know, extremely aggressive. And I think that that chemo in itself was going to kill me. I had, react, I had every reaction. It was horrible. I was constantly sick. I, it, was, it was terrible. Um, but I know that they had to, that was the only way that I could get to the next point was to have that chemo. I did have to go off of it because I was, you know, on the up, going almost to the other side. But I'm remembering a conversation you had recently oh, with Dr. Blair. Oh. Looking back, what did he tell you? He said to me, and, and my daughters were there, he said to me he never thought that I would see 2015. So he thought you had about six oh, months when he first saw From you. my original diagnosis, they, 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 they sort of wrote me off that by the end of the year that was going to be it. But yeah. I proved them wrong. Because I understand that the, the diagnosis was inflammatory breast cancer. So, and yet here you are two years later. So what do they know? Exactly. And I plan on being here for a lot more. Now he tells me I'll probably outlive everybody. So <laughs> <laughs> change his mind. Yeah. What other questions do you have for Pepe? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with us and, Thank um, you. How has, I know you didn't want the, word, the P word said to you initially, how has your perspective changed, uh, of palliative care changed, and what recommendations would you make for us as palliative care providers? I think people have to be educated on really what is palliative care, and that it doesn't mean that you're going to die tomorrow, or you're going to die next week, and it doesn't mean hospice. It means the whole system of care. It means pain management. It means having somebody as wonderful as Charles coming to your house, you know, once a month and, and talking to you and giving you a lot of courage and a lot of moral support and listening to you, um, I hate to say bitch, but, you know, com complain about things or, or tell them happy things or show them pictures of my family because... I, I want him to, because so many people here really don't know or didn't know my husband. Charles happened to have seen him at his probably, my husband's worst part of his life. You know, he was dying. And when, even when you met him, he had lost a, a lot of weight. Um, so I, I think just to really explain to people what palliative care is, because I think most people are scared. I think they're, they're really afraid of the word. Because it's, it's what we've been taught to think, that palliative care, hospice, same thing. So, um, but everybody, I'm t I, I can't reiterate this enough, everybody, this program is incredible. And the more people that go into this, um, coming to the house, it is it's just for, for the person whose house you're coming to, you don't even know what you're doing. But whatever you're doing, it's right. Are there other questions? Yes. What's the most important thing? Right so, here, right now, what's the most important thing? Enjoy life and make everybody happy. Just enjoy every day. Go out and smell the roses. And just remember that just when you think that your life stinks, 
there's somebody, it's worse. So just smile at the next person you see and just, just you know, just remember that you, you don't know what a smile can do to somebody else because you don't know what somebody else is going through in their lives. I was thinking in regard to the earlier question about um, palliative care and you said t teach everybody, but was that what I did with you? I don't know, whatever you did worked, so. <laughs> whatever you did worked! Mm -hmm. Well, so the way I think of that is labels are one thing, but it's what you do that counts. So I remember you, you told me, no hospice word, but you no never palliative care word. you never mentioned the words. No, you so I, I took my orders, all right, no <laughs> hospice, no palliative care. What, who is Pepe Chernoff, and what does she need today? Right. And then, and that, that who is Pepe Chernoff is not just her cancer, and not just that she's a powerful Jewish woman from New York who is now a transplant to the Midwest where everything is strange Ugh. compared to New York. And she has two daughters who are very unique individuals and a husband who was clearly ill from his heart disease. But then the shock of finding he had cancer and then you focus on that and it doesn't really matter what your label is. Do you help? Because I don't think you'd see me if I wasn't helping. No, I would have... No, but you got me right away. You, you got me right away. How could you not? How could you not fall in love with you right away? <laughs> you know that. I tell you this. No. I don't want you to get a, a swelled head. But, but if, if we can try and unpack that, because that's what each of these doctors that are here and the nurse practitioners, they want to capture that for themselves. What are the key things that you need, Pepe Chernoff, in all of her complexity, and in all of her um, sort of wonderful drama? What does she need from a doctor like me? In case I wasn't here and one of them were stepping in, what would, the, what would you know, most need? A feeling of genuine interest that the person that you're talking to is really interested in you and they're not looking at the watch because they have to get someplace else. So it's just a bond that you, you, you know it right away. So just smile, have a conversation with the person, see what their interests are, what they're feeling, and just be a good listener. And, you know, as I said, I told you, they have to clone you. Take well, lessons from Charles. Really, take <laughs> lessons. Watch him. <laughs> are there other questions before we end? Peppy, thank you so much. You told me that this conversation today came out of something you said just a week ago when I saw you for a routine visit. Do you remember why you, what was behind you saying, gee, I would really like to talk to anyone you want me to talk to? My reason was, first of all, I wanted to be able to do something, to give back for all the help that I got. I really felt people in my situation I think that they're lost, and anything I can do to make somebody have a positive feel for the disease, I just wanted to give, I wanted to do something where I could talk to people, what's palliative care? Uh, it doesn't have to scare you. You can have a life. You don't, you don't have to be just sitting doing nothing. You can, you can go about your regular business. Yeah, you have bad days and you want to stay in bed. You can do that every once in a while. We're all human, but um, I just I wanted to do something for somebody else, just because I thought it was important. Because I know my concerns from myself from the beginning, and I think 
uh, I wanted other people to know that it's you can be okay. You can have a daughter get married at a hospice. You can, you know, ugh, you can lose your husband at that hospice. All these things, everything, the worst things in your life, but you can, you know, you can, you can get through with, you know, the love and support of good people like yourself. And as I say, I can't say enough. I have not met one bad person in this entire Ohio Health Riverside operation. Each person from, I told you, from the guy that parks the cars to the gal that gives me the massage to the doctors and nurses, the dedication. And my brother and sister-in-law uh, saw it. My husband's sister and my brother-in-law that passed away, they saw it. They could not believe the care my husband got in hospice and at Riverside. And the care that I'm getting, I, I could not... You know how I feel about the New York medical system, that no other place is, you know, Sloan Kettering and all, you know. But I found a home here at, at the Bing and Ohio Health that has been incredible, incredible and have not met one bad apple in the whole bunch. And I think, and in closing here, what I s said to you, which I, uh, I firmly believe based on what I've seen, when I first met you, you were... Uh, so anxious that you would be overwhelmed by this. And yet, think of all that has happened. The courage that you demonstrate through uh, overcoming the things that you're afraid of. And you have coped with things that would seem that no normal human being could cope with. And here, you haven't just coped with it. Here you are talking about it and want to share that that's possible to others. I think that's pretty impressive. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> if, I, if I do say so much. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content. Make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.